Welcome to the Glasgow Museum's podcast. In this episode, we're delighted to welcome David Sherry, an artist based in Glasgow. David will be talking with Katie Bruce, producer-curator from GOMA, as part of the GOMA at 25 series celebrating the work of the Gallery of Modern Art on its 25th anniversary. I'm Katie Bruce and I'm producer-curator at the Gallery of Modern Art, which is part of Glasgow Museums. This is a podcast as part of a series that we are doing for the Gomer at 25, which is our 25th anniversary programme that's happening between March 2021 and March 2022. 25 years on from when we opened up in 1996. We're delighted that the Art Fund Resilience and Imagination Fund were able to support us to make a series of podcasts with artists that we have worked with over that 25-year period. And I'm sitting here in a studio, so hence you'll hear some background noise every so often of a car going by, and it's a studio belonging to the artist David Sherry. David, do you want to introduce yourself quickly to our audience? Yeah, yeah. I'm David Sherry. I'm an artist, and I have lived in Glasgow for, well, since 1998, which is just over 20 22 years or so and I am in my studio. I think we're going to talk through some of the projects, workshops, events, performances, shows over that 22 years and working with different people at GOMA. Yep, I think that's where the invitation came from. For me, this is a nice one to start off the series of podcasts with artists because you're one of the first artists that I worked with in 2003 for Sanctuary. I think you applied to work with me. We had a conversation following your CV and then it it spread on from there. But I'm going back a bit first. Because GOMA opened up in 1996, I wondered what you were up to in 1996 when GOMA opened and were you aware of it opening? In 1996, I was on my final year of my degree in Belfast at the University of Ulster. And I don't know, I don't think I was aware of GOMA. I think I was really just at the start of my art journey. I kind of think, I look back on that time and I wonder, what was I doing in Belfast? There was a lot of good friends and a lot of good times. I'm not sure if there was an awful lot of art made, but maybe there was some research. There was a lot of performance going on in Belfast. Mm. And I think I took a lot of that in. And then I took a year out working. And then very quickly I realised I was getting further and further away from the art world. And I seen that there was a lot going on in Glasgow, through the media there was a lot of tv programs and media stuff in the papers about artists and people winning the turner prize and and all that kind of stuff and i thought i want to go to gsa and in 1998 i got on to the mfa and i came over to glasgow then so then i became aware of goma at that point around 1998 visited goma and can you remember your first encounter with it i think the first thing i can remember is the artwork of the welly dog and that was all i can remember of my first encounter and i know kind of where it was it was in the main gallery sort of down towards the far end on the left side but then i think i really got involved with it after that 
through openings and events more or less I think that was that was maybe where I became interested in what was happening there. Moving on to 2003 because actually you started working with me in 2002 you applied for the Sanctuary program which was our first social justice program which had exhibitions but also outreach projects working with artists and yeah. groups across the city specifically working with asylum seeking refugees so you'd applied for that but at the same time I think were you in conversation with Sean about a solo show or did that come after I have no idea how that that, happened I think yeah I think that came (laughs) after I think I was involved in making doing workshops and I can remember going to youth clubs and community centers and working with refugees which was really amazing and other artists I remember working with a photographer who was really interesting and she was also working with refugee like and I was really interested in that and then also doing drawing workshops with uh, in youth clubs which was terrifying <laughs> absolutely terrifying and then maybe after that maybe 2003 talking to Sean about doing a show I think Alan Curl had maybe done a show before that I think Alan was actually after you was he after oh yeah maybe he was that's right he was maybe after me so that was really good that that was great it was really fantastic I remember what that show was lots of different types of works there was a performance piece where I hung around in shops to, uh, just before they were closing so that the people working in the shops could ask me to leave so that was the idea of that performance so I'd go into like pre-mark or whatever and just hang around I'd find out when the time was that the shop would close so there was a little kind of like you know human behavior and interaction that kind of area that I've always being interested in performance and humour so it was a, yeah. a little bit of that and I made a series of wall drawings and then I made another film which was of a headless man set to the theme tune of Willie Nelson's You Were Always On My Mind possibly I think I remember that floating through because the, the new offices were yeah. just under Gallery 3 so yeah. you could hear that on the loop while yeah. you were going about your daily business yeah. Like that was a really crazy, that whole year was completely mad for me as an artist because there was Scotland and Venice happened in that year mm-hmm. and I then got invited to do a show, show some work at the Gagosian after that and then it was showing at Goma, like it was just a really mad year. Like I look back and think, God, I'd love to recreate that bloody year again. I was been waiting to recreate that year for 20 years. So is that a call out to anyone listening yeah, to the podcast? Yeah, Venice. <laughs> <laughs> it goes in. I'm ready. Go. I'm ready. Yep. Okay. It was uh, like I look. You look through. You go. Gee. Look at that. Look at that. And uh, when was Bex? Was that before? That was the same year. year. That was okay. the same year. That was that was quite. That was funny. Yeah, that was quite funny. But yeah, that was a good. That was a fun show, and I made a lot of. You know, showed some drawings in that mm-hmm. exhibition and some films, and I worked a lot with my friend Philip Peart on this film work. I think in that, and it had a sound piece, and he made the this sound piece for this film work with my pal. Yeah, anyway, yeah. But like, were you also sewing a piece of cardboard to your feet? I have a memory of that. Was that in that show? I can't remember if that or was me- in that show. No, I made that work. A couple of years previous to that, I made the stitching my feet around 2000. Okay. So that work was pre, before that. um, that Maybe Sean showed it to us to say, this is the kind of work that David might be doing. He might be, he might (laughs) be. Because that's etched in my brain as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Like a lot of those works that bring me back to what I was up to and what me and my friends were doing, because I usually like made a little video in the flat that I 
was in that video was in a flat that I was in that was a crazy flat and I can just remember different things happening in that flat it was after we'd finished the MFA me and my pal Kev had this flat and it was a two room flat so his room had the kitchen and the cooking appliances and the washing machine and my room was the living room with the TV and it was really I mean Laura used to come around and just think it was so weird that we were both living together <laughs> we didn't have our own space so we'd watch TV and we only had one, we seemed to only had one video, which was Donnie Brasco. And every night we'd watch Donnie Brasco. It was like, Dave, will we watch Donnie? Yeah, let's put on Donnie Brasco. I'll go out and get like a Twix and, and we'll sit out and watch Donnie Brasco. And we, we got broken into one time in that flat. We came back from Christmas holidays or something. And the flat had been broken into and the door was off its hinges. And there was a note inside and it was from the police. The police had broken into our flat because there was a leak from upstairs. It had gone through our flat mm. to downstairs. And they left the door off the hinges so we Kev was in there. It's like, Dave, we've been broken into. And I was like, all right. It's like, by the police. I was like, all right, the police have broken in. Why? And there was a dodgy landlord as well. So... I don't really even like. I'm not even talking about the artwork. I just it just no, when I see those artworks, it just reminds me of that time. It was in Deniston, living in Deniston, and. Uh, but I think that's the nice thing about encountering artworks in places, or you know, I've always, as a curator, you've talked about not defining what the audience should think when they see an artwork, and an artist never wants to do that anyway. But you create a space where they're bringing something that sets them off on a completely different tangent. I went to see the Edinburgh Art Festival recently, and um, the work at the Burns Monument, and it just set me back to the time when I was in Edinburgh studying and had money as part of my course to go and study Italian in Florence. And it's amazing where, you know, yeah. uh, talking about something or the tangents that it'll take you and your personal experience kind of going. Yeah, it takes you back, back to a, a memory of a certain yeah. time. It, it is, yeah. I think that's what certain works do. You know, I, I see certain works and I don't see the actual works. I just see what was the experience and who was I with and where was I and those kinds of things. Not really. I don't really see what was that work about. Oh, it was about this. And it was. I usually think about some funny story that happened at that time or, or somebody, some event or something. It's just making me think. I read something you said performances are always interesting like a study of yourself in an intense moment a slightly altered you and going back to that where if you think a performance reminds you of a time we've got two of your performances in Glasgow Museum's collection that came in sort of 2011 and for us it was a really exciting moment because it's the first performance that we acquired and I think we were one of the first public institutions outside of London to acquire performance too but if you have performances that connect you to a time what happens to that when it comes in to a museum collection and either you can be asked to perform it again yeah or we can ask other people to perform it and if yeah. it's so closely connected to you in that intense moment yeah. as you say well, I think there's, we... there's different types of performances. The, the ones that went into the collection are like, I kind of see the performances that I've made as, you know, making these static things, you know, as sitting, the, the one that was um, just popped out back in two hours, which was the post-it note. And that was a really interesting piece to perform. And then other things, which were, that I also made at Goma, and uh, that was like a kind of a stand-up performance piece where you stand up and you perform ideas and you do something kind of, uh, put different ideas together and try to perform them in quick succession. And, and it's about narrative and almost trying to be an actor or a stand-up comedian in some way. So the other one 
ones are these static ones that are really subtle. I've almost come back to trying to make more subtle performances because the standout ones are way too hard. <laughs> it's just too difficult to do. You have to you have to like prepare, you know, write something down, prepare it for a month, and then you perform it for 10, 15 minutes, and then nobody says anything about it because it is kind of like you know it, there isn't a value system for that thing that you've just done. It isn't good and it isn't bad. It's just a thing, so nobody can say anything to you about the thing. You're just like David, you did a thing, <laughs> and, then you, and and then you leave, and you just think, what? Why did I do that? You know, and that's quite you know. There's that thing where they don't know how to feel after you make something like that. You just think, right? I've just it's a really great form of expression. So the other the other one, which is static, which is like just popped out back in two hours. It's really it's interesting to think about. I was trying to work out where my mind was when I came up with that idea. I think I proposed three or four different artworks to Mother's Tank Station for an art fair and it was and it was perfect in an art fair because people are running around and going crazy and then you're just sitting there with this post-it note on your head making a performance. So that was the perfect place to make it or anywhere that's busy or lively and you're not doing anything. Because you've shown it at Goma. Yeah. It was in Generation at Kelvin Grove. Yeah. And it's also been shown worldwide with others or yourself yeah. doing it as well. And it's really quite a poignant one just thinking about it now in terms of COVID. Yeah. Which is quite strange because I know we had a conversation at one point about absence and presence yeah. in the gallery. And for Kelvin Grove, which was such a family one, I just remember this family that walked past you initially and then turned back. And we're trying to work out if you were a kind of a mannequin and we're getting the youngest to go up. Yeah. <laughs> and how you maintained your composure through that well, in performance. I know. that That's the really interesting thing about it. We better maybe describe what that is. Yeah, the artwork is you sit static. I think you've got your hands on your knees and your legs and you look straight ahead and you have a post-it note stuck to your forehead and the post-it note says, just popped out back in two hours and your mouth's open. And you can drool, drool maybe comes out of your mouth and you have to sit static. And to make the work, I count out breaths to something like 1,500, which is nearly two hours. And you sit there to nearly two hours and you don't move or react to anybody else. And that is the idea of the work. And anybody can make that work, but there is sort of like a rigor to it and you're not ready yeah. for it and you think you, it's nothing but you tense up and you have to relax and then you think that people won't put you off but then some people do put you off and then you get really good at it and nobody can put you off and you're really really still and then somebody comes along and you start to shake your you get kind of nervous of a person for some reason so making the work is really fascinating to do just as a means of learning about yourself to you know can you sit still for two hours can you sit with your mouth open can you kind of like be able to deal with someone looking at you as an object for a two-hour period can you deal with an audience inspecting you and even inspecting your art and saying that it's nothing <laughs> you know yeah. can you do what's that like so then other other people made the work and they find it really fascinating it's really an artwork for other people it's it's not it's not like a lot of the artworks that i make i enjoy making them and that may be more important to me than thinking about what an audience gets out of them which and then mm -hmm. when you ask other people to make those works, they get a kick out of it. Like there was an actor made it in Amsterdam. It was made at Die Apple. And uh, Alina Katsoff, who was in Glasgow, she went and studied at Die Apple. And she asked me to, I'd known her here, her and 
Benny was her partner and they went to Amsterdam and stood there for um, a year and they asked me to make it over there and then there was uh, there was some reason I couldn't go there it was the it was the volcano in Iceland that year so I couldn't go over and make that work which was great because this other they got another actor to make it and he really enjoyed it he was talking about exactly those things those uh, those interesting aspects of it so it becomes about different things really it starts off as something you think it's about that but then other performances over a period of 20 years they take on this different dynamic and you think about them differently especially if they're subtle performances they you know you make them again and again you know I made works with luggage and then when I was looking at it I was describing it to somebody and should I talk about how that was a comedic thing that was an oxymoron where I sat in luggage but then does that represent the refugee crisis now or you know I wasn't thinking about that at that time but now if I showed it now or I made those works now it wouldn't really be about holidays or going on a business trip it would maybe be more about you know seeing people leaving their homelands with luggage but maybe that's me more thinking into things or Another work, which is Breathing Through Pen Lids, that I made over 10 years ago, 2009, standing in a space just breathing through pen lids. Is that about pollution and, and, you know, the climate crisis? And at the time, it wasn't about that, but I kind of think differently on them as, as time goes on with whatever's happening in my experience of what's happening at the time. And I guess that's also bringing works into collection because the other work, that, the other performance that we have in the collection, we have other work by you, is Electrical Appliance, yeah. where you're... You made a prop of a giant plug with a lead that has a helmet that you then attach yourself to yeah. and lie on the floor. Yeah. Which, you know, with COP coming yeah. is a really interesting piece for us to have in the collection. But also there was something very comedic about that charge, get up and go. Yeah. Kind of, or our connection, especially now as we look at working from home and everybody's reliance on Wi-Fi and our devices Yeah. to function these days. I mean, they're so, yeah, there they're was, so layered from that simple. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's right to kind of then maybe take works out of context and then put them into other contexts of time. Or maybe I'm thinking into like artworks that I've made or that. But I suppose that's how you make an artwork. You, you kind of connect several different things and then you come up with an idea and then you present it. And people don't necessarily need to know the different things that got you to that point. But with the electrical appliance piece, it was so much fun to make. I made it once at the Gallery of Modern Art and then once at Kelvin Grove. And they were both really fun pieces to make, uh, just to lie there connected to a really large plug. And people got a real kick out of it, and, and there was really nice photographs of it. And I, at the time, I was thinking about power and electricity and how we're all connected up to the internet or connected up to our appliances and how we're going to manage that kind of usage of electricity and power and these kinds of things. And now I'm thinking, you know, electric cars are the way forward. It's, you know, it's almost turned a little bit. To, towards electric cars and, and if you have a, an electric car it's almost like a sig signal of being sort of into climate change but I think with works like that I think it's really just about processing things like climate change or getting it into your mind about how do we go forward with dealing with that situation it wasn't really about presenting any answers it was just about processing and understanding you know, and thinking about the use of power, electricity. Yeah, I suppose a lot of the exhibitions that we do, they're not answers to anything. Mm. And one of the reasons I, I love working in a museum and with contemporary artists is there's quite a lot 
of play or nuances to, to bigger global questions of our time that an artwork doesn't answer, but it just provides a different inroad to thinking on it or a different perspective yeah. on it. And I know these, these two works came in for Blueprint for Bogey, which was an exhibition primarily from Glasgow Museum's collection. And then I invited you and Corin Sworn to look at play. And it was connected in with Article 31 from the UN rights of the child and the right to play, but also to art, leisure, culture and rest. Yeah. And it was really interesting working in, in with all of that, but thinking about play in a space of a museum that's often quite serious but can can be playful and going back to that earlier question or that earlier piece that you were saying about the stand-up did you ever think about being a stand-up comedian and why an artist i've i've always enjoyed like comedy humor and that's a big part of my work and then it's just finding an expression for that and then i started to make those stand-up pieces which were partly comedic and partly trying to tell jokes also just coming up with ideas really quickly and presenting them really, really fast. So going through a series of different ideas and presenting them and seeing what happens at the end of that. And there was lots of things that go on with that. It's like it's like a performance where you try to keep people's engagement for that length of time. So that was a big part of it. And then another part of it was learning the script to a certain point where you knew the script, but you could ad lib around the script, which is really great if you can do that. I would spend lots of time trying to learn those scripts. So I'd get there and perform the script and ad lib around the script a little bit and then go on to the next thing and I find them really really great to do but as I said I didn't miss I don't miss ever doing them because it takes up so much time and then I thought oh I could maybe consign these to video but then you don't have that crazy moment where things can go right or wrong but it does take an awful lot of energy to do those things to stand up and it was just like plus then nobody knows whether it was good or bad I don't know whether it worked or didn't work the audience don't know whether it worked it's not exactly funny so it's not like a funny so it's its own thing but I have really enjoyed doing those I think I've got kind of too far involved in making them to stop doing them so at some point I'll probably make another one just because it's it is so much fun to do to write your own script have a series of things that you perform and to do that in front of an audience um, and the challenge is really interesting as well can you keep an audience engaged for a short period of time and also the sort of the comment on society so there's, there's loads yeah. and loads of stuff in there you know so I really really enjoy that format and one thing that got me thinking about it again was recently I watched Ruby Wax she did this program the other night and watched it with Laura on Zoom live and it was just that basically it was just that it was like learning a script and then afterwards she talked about you know don't get on stage if you haven't learned your script and I have got I have done some like you know I've been per performing to 10 or 12 people it doesn't matter if you haven't learned the script or uh, some idea of it it's, it's a disaster. But then the other side of that is subtle works. Subtle works are, are brilliant. This is what I love. I love these subtle things that you go out and you perform something in the street and it's so subtle. It's nothing. So the last one that I did of that was painting a curbstone the same colour as a curbstone in forest for a residency with Findhorn Bay Arts. And it's paint and you go out and you do this subtle thing and it's not this, uh, you know, you're on stage you know, making a performance of yourself. This is completely the opposite where you're not making a performance of yourself, but you're trying to get people to come over and talk to you about what 
the hell are you doing? What, what are you doing? It's like, I'm painting this curbstone exactly the same. Granite colours and the inflection of the granite and trying to get it exactly the same. And then people talk to you. And that's what that, that's about. It's about that engagement through performance in the street. So these subtle works. So I think that's what happened through COVID. I realized that performance area of making stand-up performances with a mic and going through scripts, it's kind of over for a while, but it was really nice to do for that period of time. And maybe I'll revisit it at some point. But now I'm more interested in being outside making these really subtle things that you, people can come over and you can chat to each other, which we really need. So those kinds of things I find more interesting and maybe form a new project. It's maybe more about that kind of outside, something subtle that maybe brings up a conversation around whatever people want to talk about, you know, that interaction. Yeah, I guess, you know, like the last 18 months, it has given us time to reflect or kind of think about things. And at GOMA, it being our 25th anniversary, a lot of the work we did was looking back where we've gone, what we're going to program, and these series of conversations. Like, if you'd asked me 18 months ago about doing a podcast, I don't think I would have been here doing that too. But I think it's quite interesting is one of the things for me is missing conversations with artists that you've had to plan it or or it become, well, this is a planned thing. But it's actually opening up lots of other really lovely thoughts that I haven't, I've not had in the space of my own home. And, and for, you know, this is a bit like painting a curbstone in granite for me to have a yeah. conversation yeah, with somebody like, yeah, in yeah, some to, ways. Yeah, to, well, I suppose you get around and you, you find out what everybody's up to and, and you would have naturally done that through openings or events or caught up with everybody, but no one's really caught up with each other. Well, I suppose with GI there was an element of that. So things have started to get back opened up again. But I keep meeting people all the time that I haven't seen for about two years. It was like, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen you for a couple of years. It's like time has just folded and, and, and you're sort of two years on and you're like, all right. Um, yeah, like an extended version of Just Popped Out. Like an ext- it is like an extended <laughs> version of Just Popped Out. That's frightening. That's very frightening. On, on that performances where you don't know you're in them. Have you ever... Or, well, I know you have, but you know, you've talked about one that you were doing at the time when you first had the show where you were going into shops and yeah. people had to try and get to leave. I know the performances that you've done in Goma, but I've always wondered about those ones where we don't know we're in a performance and you're there. <laughs> Yeah. with performances because I remember you know you've had performances where you just say yes to everything or you've gone to interviews that you don't want have, yeah. have you ever come to something at yeah. Goma where you didn't actually want to do it but have convinced us that you did I don't know what do you what do you mean of sort of yeah have we ever been involved in a performance where we had no idea it was happening it was it was I don't <laughs> and you still so. haven't told us <laughs> I don't think I don't think so I don't think so. There was a work that I made for a little while, which was talking to people in a certain direction, which is north by northwest. So I would like try to get into the area of like facing north by northwest in conversation. But that was around 2010. So I was doing that for a little while around 2010, talking to people facing. I had it like a compass and I would check where north by northwest was. And I would, for some reason, I had this idea that that was the best position to talk to people <laughs> I told you were facing north by northwest. That's um, round about the time of blueprint for a bogey, so it could well have been that I was having a meeting and you're slightly manoeuvring. Well, I can remember just in it was really like in pubs and things. I would have to get in, like get. Could you just move to there? Right, that that's fine. Just stand there, and I'll 
talk to you there. Other than that, I, I can't remember. I remember I made a performance in one of the performances. I think it was the one for Devil in the Making. I had taken my brain out metaphorically and placed it on the ground. And then I remembered afterwards, later on, that I'd forgotten to metaphorically mm -hmm. take my brain back off the floor and put it back into my head. And the next day, I went in to pick up my metaphorical brain off the floor because I thought I should really put that back, even though it's a metaphor. And I went in and picked it up. And I think one of the staff was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like picking this like imaginary brain up and putting it back into my... Like there was a performance where I think I'd taken my brain out to give my brain a rest or something and then I refreshed myself and then put it back. So um, I don't know if that uh, that could be it. Luckily, I stopped making those the, that one piece where I would kind of like dissect myself and then put myself back together again. Well, it's making me think about the one where you decided to sell your fingers off. Yeah, yeah, that was... For life, which, yeah. you know, sounds like yeah. quite a simple, jokey thing to do. yeah. And then it became that sort of real seriousness it around really, about... Like, I mean, that's the interesting thing about, you know, one of the great things in my relationship to Goma was selling um, just popped out back in two hours. That was a great thing because it's an idea and you sell an idea and I bring it up in talks um, to students at art schools sometimes. Uh, and it's interesting for them to get their head around that concept of selling a concept and what is it, you know, and... and when you talk about what was sold, it was, you know, photographs and, and how to make that work, how to make a performance and all these different things. So in essence, it was just an idea. It was just a, just something that you could say to somebody else. So it wasn't really a tangible thing. So what was sold wasn't tangible. It was an idea. And that's the really mad thing about that work where I sold my fingers to somebody else. That's an idea. But when, you know, it's just a, a humorous funny idea but when you put so much work into it and you work on it and you make lots of elements to it you make you make a contract and you go through with exchanging the money and all it becomes a real thing so the idea becomes real in your mind and it became too real for me whereby I didn't I was looking at my fingers thinking that I didn't own them anymore and at that point I was starting to have like an existential crisis and who and did own them? Different, yeah. different, mostly friends. But different yeah. people owned them and then sold them. And it was really before I'd exchanged the money and I cancelled the work because it was too much. And I had to go and, like, I did, I went and I had to speak to my doctor about it. I was like, and he was amazing. He was like, right, you know, I had to explain the artwork to my doctor. <laughs> I know it's easy to laugh about it, but my, I but I think that, that it was it, it was a real lesson. It was really it was really kind of like we're like it's nice it's nice to live as much as you can on the surface, and art really has its place in that in that realm. You know, it's it it can kind of you put an awful lot into it, and. Uh, you need to always have it at arm's length, <laughs> you know, like in control yeah. of it, because it can get out of control mentally um, sometimes. That one got out of control. And I think, you know, 
and, and so other people said to me, oh, Dave, you've done all these different things. Why was that? Why did that one? But you never really know why that one mm-hmm. sort of would latch on in some way. And it was maybe, you know, different things. Yeah, that was a bit of a lesson to keep it light. You know, don't take yourself too seriously. I think I took it way too serious, you know. Yeah. You know, it started off as a joke and then it became this serious thing. And then money and contracts and had written it all out and I'd worked really hard on it. And then I presented it and people loved it and people bought my fingers. And then it became this really thing and then I had to go no <laughs> no stop but if I had yeah. if, if I had a kept on top of it and thought it's fun it would still be fun you know like yeah. you know you're get you're getting into a really area into a really crazy area there yeah you can almost almost feel it <laughs> that kind of art real real life yeah it's making me think of lots of things which maybe aren't it's like um, yeah, Douglas Gordon work Douglas Gordon did a work where he tattooed a guy's finger so that the finger was the length of you could press into someone's heart but it drove apparently it drove the guy mad Ooh. you know what I mean it's, it's yeah. too cr- some, some it's, ideas it's really like, unsettling some I- ideas are so unsettling that you know if you have to live with that idea all the time it's too much. I can't remember what, what happened with that. Somebody had told me that. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it's an example of, you know, the power of the art idea. It can be, it can be really, really powerful. Oof. You know. I wasn't going to interrupt that story, but I suppose the, the flip side of the just popped out coming into the collection was the work that we did in registration. So in some ways I was registering nothing because the actual artwork what I had to register as an object we the way our cataloging system goes I couldn't register the instructions because the artwork is not the instructions I just said the artworks the ideas so when I registered your work into the collection I was registering nothing yeah which is quite took quite a lot for us to get yeah. over in terms of our museum systems and collections. And we have ephemera around it and the notes and the ideas mm. for it. Mm. But also the parameters of it. And I think we're still working it in and around copyright because, um, you know, that idea, if it was lent to a couple of institutions, and I think they've always used English language on the, on the post-it note. So the post-it note is recreated every time. But mm. what happens if they use another language on the post-it note is that your work oh yeah yeah and all of these things yeah. and so our loan our loans officer and our copyright officer you know yeah trying to lend this work becomes this mountain of paperwork when the actual work itself is it's essentially mad. yeah nothing tangible yeah it's mad because it isn't an actual thing that you can log and and sort of define no which is but also that, exciting for a work that's in a collection yeah yeah it is it is really exciting it's it's interesting to get your head around it but i always some think about it as the, exactly the same as a painting you know the same exactly the same commodity and um, but it's not but it but it is as well it's the same commodified thing but then the interesting thing about it was when you had said to me i'd said oh yeah i'd like to i'll remake it again but i'll remake it maybe with two or, and then you were like no that's a different work it has to be exactly that <laughs> yeah it that's what be. we bought yeah which is really interesting and I think um, there was... and in a way it's good because I thought, oh no, I should have should have gone on and done different variations. But that's not what interests me about art. It's not remaking the thing over. It it's kind of jumping on and doing a new idea. That's what's why I make art. It's because what is the new thing that makes me excited about making art? It's not about recreating this but slightly differently. That might be you know a successful version of that last thing but yeah it is it's really it is really interesting how you you know you sell a a piece of performance work there's lots of performances that do sell like i think the other one is 
that in is it the other one in Goma is Roman on deck, and that's yeah. really I, I really love those pieces. Of it's his. a really subtle work because yeah. it is the work where our visitor or gallery assistants are to be organised in progressive age throughout the building. So the youngest would work in the basement yeah. and the oldest would work in gallery four at yeah. the top. Yeah. And so it would be an imperceptible, subtle work until you maybe notice it's great. Yeah, something it's great. It's so that good. goes through it. Yeah, the re- sort of like a, a regulation making some kind of regulation that's only relevant as an artwork you know or or whatever it's it's really really great or the one that he did with the cues like i'd love to make artworks with cues but he's kind of like the cue <laughs> art performance artwork <laughs> person mm-hmm. artist every every artist has to have a claimed thing and he's claimed cues and i would love to claim cues but i can't it, it's uh, it's gone it's gone yeah, those pieces are great. I, I really like his work a lot. On that thing of thinking um, about cues and and where, where it takes you, the minute you said cues, it made me think of when I used to work in the cafe at the National Portrait Gallery in Edinburgh and there'd be a queue for the cheese scones every Saturday morning with at least five or six regular people. So I could say we claimed cues earlier for cheese scones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not art. <laughs> yeah, the cue art is good. So I think we'll maybe coming to an end in terms of this podcast. Yeah. Because I'm sure we could natter on for hours. But thinking about that, is there anything in Goma that you wished you'd done? Or was there an idea that we just went, nah? <laughs> I there can't remember it. That, uh, you know, when I think it of uh, working at, over that time, there's so many different uh, things that I was involved with. Like even one of my memories as well, Aside to making work there was um, being part of the install for the Jim Lambie floor. And I think everyone in Glasgow who's an artist has possibly worked a little bit on some form of Jim's work. And I just feel it was great to work to work on that and work out how you make that floor and how simple it is. I think some of these works, I try to do that in my own work, try to make things simple that other people can do. Immediately I arrived in, one of the guys showed me how you lay down that floor and the pattern and I was just working on it. I was just making those patterns on the floor being part of that floor work. So that was really interesting to to be part of the install team on that show. I had some idea at one point of doing a marathon around the building because I just was thinking, yeah, that, that would be perfect. It's a perfect location to do like a marathon or a walking piece. Has someone done a walking? Because I, I can imagine you can measure how long it is to walk around the building and then you could sort of do a walk-a-thon. Or a, it, it seems that that sort of circular path would be quite nice for a group of people. But I don't think No, I don't think we've done a marathon around the building. <laughs> we haven't even done our daily mile. Well, I think, <laughs> it, I think, I think it was over... I think it was over um, lockdown I started to think about that because there was this part of lockdown where I think it was going down to the BBC building or the science centre and walking around it and that was it that was like our day for you know a period of time and I was thinking oh that could make a, a decent artwork maybe I should that would be good at where it would be good and then Goma is one of those places that you could yep. you know go around circle around I think that's my um imagined 
imagined artwork, uh, some, some kind of marathon. I could see people instead of, you know, some kind of art marathon. I'm sure other other places have that. I can imagine other places, freestanding uh, museums, have marathons or walkathons around their buildings. I have to quickly Google that yeah. when we finish this. Yeah. Glasgow doesn't have a marathon anymore. It has it only has the half marathon. It could reinstate that. That could be Goma's twenty fifth anniversary legacy. Yeah. Twenty five miles. Twenty five <laughs> miles around a gallery. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that would be good. Thank you, David. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was. It was fun. It was lovely. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode of the Glasgow Museums podcast. If you've enjoyed and want to hear more, you can find more episodes available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts and on SoundCloud too. Just look out for Glasgow Museums. Until next time, thanks for listening.